Turn with me to Psalm chapter 23, verse 6. I will keep this short, but I do, I just, I just can't not leave you with a word from the Lord. <clears throat> so consider this a sermonette. We'll go out praising God. And we will together close this wonderful psalm. Psalm 23. <clears throat> Let's take it from the top. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Have you ever had a sense in your life where you felt like you were being followed? (laughs) Followed by someone or something? When I was a kid, I think I was about 10 years old, um, I was accompanying my dad to work, and he was working at this house out in the country, and I was playing on these hay bales, and I remember this sense of being watched and even followed, and I, I started to look around, couldn't see anything, and I began playing, and I heard this growl. I was like, oh, what's that? And I turn around, and there's a dog kind of creeping up behind me with his head crouched low, and he's kind of sneaking up on me. I don't know why he had his head crouched low. He was bright white. I, you know, I could see him, but he was, he was creeping up on me. And I started walking away from him. He started following me a little faster. And I, I began to run, run and he began to uh, run. And eventually, he grabbed me by, the, uh, by my ankle and started to uh, attack my leg and start to just kind of jerk my leg around. I just began wailing, just, you know, 10 years old, just, ah, Dad, help me, I'm being attacked by a ferocious beast. My dad didn't hear. I think he was in the basement working or something. He, this dog just began to attack me. Now, little context, it was a sheepdog. I didn't know this at the time, uh, but it wasn't really biting my leg. It was grabbing my, my, my pants and tugging at them. And I couldn't have known this at the time until my dad told me later as he was laughing, but it apparently thought that I was a sheep. It wasn't so much attacking me as it was hurting me. And no kidding, I began, I, I, I couldn't get out of its jaws, and so I got this soft broom, I was very gentle with it, but I began to push at the jaws, just pushing the mouth of the beast away from my, my, my foot, and he got more tenacious, or she, I don't know what it was, but it just began not only doing this, but eventually it literally, no joke, began to drag me in circles on my rear end around this little field as I'm crying out for dear life, Dad, help me! Even to this day, I'm traumatized by sheepdogs. Even as I was preparing for the shepherd psalm, I was like, God, there's no sheepdogs involved in this, right? Okay, good. Silly story. But if you've ever had the sense that something or someone was following you, there was perhaps a sense in that that it wasn't good, whether it was a sheepdog, whether it was an enemy or a car 
or something else dangerous. This is the type of, this is the picture that David is drawing for us by the uh, use of his words. He uses a word here when he says follow, uh, it's following me, goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. That word follow me literally means pursuit. And it's the word that he has often used and is usually used to refer to an enemy in the field when you're uh, uh, shepherding sheep. It can refer to bandits, like a human enemy. It could also refer to a dog, a wolf, or a lion. And he takes this, and instead of attaching it to an enemy, which we all may uh, have at different points of our life, he he attaches it to God specifically to two attributes of God, and says, just as a wolf would be chasing after you in the middle of the night, so God's goodness and mercy is pursuing you. It's after you. Even when you don't even know that it's there, God's uh, goodness and mercy is, is chasing after you. You know what God's goodness is? It's simply his benevolence. It is his nature to be good towards people. And so when we speak of his goodness, we're speaking about God's desire to just want to do good for you. In other words, he's not this cosmic killjoy that perhaps some of us have concocted. Maybe through images of God, through other people. Maybe our dad was a killjoy. Maybe our mom, maybe someone else. And we project that onto God. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He is longing, pursuing to show you good things and to be good towards you. He says, and not only goodness, but mercy is following you. That word for mercy, in the, uh, that Hebrew word is chesed. Everybody say chesed. 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 Not chesed. It's <laughs> like a good Hebrew, chesed. Chesed is notoriously difficult to translate into English. In your Bibles, it could come up as mercy. It could come up as steadfast love. It could come up as... Uh, 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 faithfulness is another word, very uh, many different meanings because it's so difficult to translate. And yet it is one of the most important concepts in the Bible. Over 200 times it comes up in the Old Testament. And the key to understanding what chesed is, is covenant. It's always used in the Old Testament in relation to a covenant. This is the type of human relationship that God uses in order to relate to people. In the Old Testament, a covenant was a binding agreement in the ancient Near East. It was a binding agreement between two people. And often, it usually looks something like this. A more powerful king would come alongside a more weak, uh, vulnerable king and say, I want to enter into an agreement with you. I have resources to offer you. I have protection to give you. I have a favor to show you. That weaker king would have nothing to give in return, but that king would say, I will give you everything that I have. Everything in my kingdom belongs to you as long as you agree to be a part of mine. And so it was a gracious interaction. This is the type of covenant that keeps coming up in the Old Testament and makes its way into the new. It is not just good works arbitrarily done to this person and that person and that person over there, but this is a binding commitment of God to show love and goodness towards a particular group of people. This is showing kindness because of his faithful love. In other words, the goodness that we just spoke of is not just, you know, it's not just like a lottery that you, you, you participate in it and maybe you get some of God's goodness. God focuses like a laser his goodness on the people that belong to him. And he does it unmerited. If you're in a covenant with God, he is good to you whether you are good to him or not. 
when you are faithful and you are following him and you are doing all the right things and church attendance and generosity and on mission and blah, 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 he is good to you. And when you make mistakes, he's good to you because his goodness being shown towards you has nothing to do with your merit but his covenant promise. This is what we see chasing after us. And so he's not a taskmaster. He's not, say, he's not saying, I'll, I'll be good to you if you be good to me. I'll show you favor if you do all the right things. He, he, he's longing on high to show you goodness, even when you fail. The picture being formed by this verse is goodness, God's nature is to bless people, and mercy, or chesed, that nature, his good nature is now being focused on certain people, his covenant people. He then says that this goodness and mercy is following him all the days of my life, all the days of my life. That doesn't mean for eternity, although that that is true. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying all of my present days, saying all the days that I am now living right now in the present. So if we were to put all of this together, we would say what this verse is saying is that if you're in Christ, God's goodness and mercy are in hot pursuit of you right now. At this very moment, God's Mercy and goodness are in hot pursuit of you. It is chasing after you like a sheepdog, just wanting to get a hold of you, his mercy and goodness. You might say, well, that's a bummer because I'm obviously not having a good time. This happened to me on Saturday, and this week I lost all of this, and the week before that, this happened. It doesn't seem like God's goodness and mercy are following me. So what's in it for someone like me? Certainly if you... Make a, made a lot of money last week or uh, you experienced joyful relationships or things were going your way all week, you can read this and be like, yeah, God's goodness and mercy are in pursuit of me. But what if you just lost everything? What if things are not going the way that you were planning? And to you, I would say, look no farther than David who penned the psalm. Look no farther than the author of the psalm who's claiming this. He had a tough upbringing. He had a dysfunctional family. He was chased by his own boss who wanted to murder him, not just fire him. He lost his best friend in a war. He murdered. He committed adultery. His firstborn son dies. His family was filled with incest. His other son that didn't die actually tried to kill him and take his kingdom. What have you gone through this past week? (laughs) Even if you've gone through a lot, you're reading this through the lens of a guy who's not had a lot of good times, and yet he's claiming in the midst of this, even as Saul is pursuing me, wanting to kill me, God's goodness and mercy is pursuing me. I'm being pursued in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm being pursued in the valley of my suffering. In the midst of the worst that the devil can do to me, God's goodness and mercy is in hot pursuit of me. There was a sense in David that even in the worst circumstances, including the ones he brought on himself, God's goodness and mercy were following him around, rearranging, reorchestrating, renewing, restoring all things in his life for his ultimate good. Even if those ultimately good things were not things that he thought were good at the time, God knew what he needed in that moment. Present, moment by moment by moment, God's goodness might say, well, how can we know that things are going to, I know th- how things turned out for David. 
How can I be sure that things are going to turn out for me? How can I be sure that God is going to be laser focused in his goodness towards me? I want to give you two things, and then we'll, we'll end right there. One, it's his nature. We just saw that it is his covenant, even his nature to be good, and it is his covenant promise to show you his goodness. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It is impossible for him to be bad towards his people. This means that even when things are tough, even when it things, uh, seems like things are falling apart, he will not fail to be good to you, even if you do not see in that moment how things are going to wind up good. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he is acting and moving and arranging and guiding. The second reason we can be sure that God is going to be good to us, if you are in Christ, is because it's not only his nature, it's your purpose, man. It is your purpose to experience this from God. David would go on to say, and as a result of this, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. This speaks, look at the trajectory of Psalm 23. First we were sheep, but then we saw we're not just sheep to be herded or led, but we're also, uh, we're also friends. We sit at the table in the presence of our enemies. We're not just friends, we are residents. We're citizens. We live in the house of God. That line speaks of a belonging to a family. You have a place in God's kingdom and in God's heaven and in God's life. You may be here in the present time, but your heart exists with God. Your soul belongs to him and you belong to him. And this is Paul's perspective. That entire line in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, I won't read the whole thing. You read it on your own time and run it out of time, but gosh, this is such a glorious passage when he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God love us. I just want to stop right there. Even before he made you, he loved you. You have any doubts that God wants to show you goodness and kindness in this life? He was already showing you goodness and kindness before you existed. And he will finish what he started. We are citizens of heaven living in a foreign land. As ambassadors of that heaven telling other people how good our God is. Lastly, here's where we can go from there. Last word. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the same word that we saw in the previous verse, speaking about the length of days. It's not talking about eternity, although that is certainly true. It's, he's saying the same thing he said in the last line. I will dwell in the house of the Lord literally for the length of my days. I will dwell in the house of the Lord right now, in the present moment. Think about that. God's mercy and goodness is so laser-focused on you because of that covenant we have with him in Christ. That, that, and that blessing is causing his presence to be, uh, to be with you in every single present moment. If you are in Christ, God's presence is with you right now. You might not feel it. At other times, maybe you will, but he is present with you. Not just present to pat you on the shoulder or to, like, to look over your shoulder and see what you're doing, but present to bless you, present to empower you, present to comfort you, 
present to heal you, present to move you, present to take away the blinders and the idols in your life that are causing you to live for something less than what you were destined to. You were made to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and that doesn't start in heaven per se. It starts right now, that dwelling. I say all of this, and I'm just going to ask Michael to come up with the band as we transition. But as we sing songs about his presence, I want us together, as we just see what God is doing in our midst and what he's going to do, I want us to just get a little smaller, just for a moment. Because there's maybe two people in this, this building I want to address right now. One is the discouraged man or woman. You can barely think about reaching the unreached or being on mission because your life is so difficult. Your life is falling apart. You can barely hold yourself up, much less look to the future. And to you, I want to say, what you need in this moment is not to try harder to be on mission or try harder to obey. What you need right now is to run into the presence of your Father and receive from Him the presence that belongs to you. What you need in this moment is not to try to be a better Christian. It is to receive from your Father all the benefits of belonging to Him. What you need right now is to recognize and realize, perhaps for the first time, what it means to be a son and a daughter and to just marinate in that. Are you discouraged today? Perhaps belonging to the greatest human being in the universe will fix that today. One moment in the presence of God will answer a lifetime of doubts. Others in this room, you're not discouraged. You're just bored or lazy. Everything's going well. You've got a lot of stuff. You've got resources. You've got time. You've got things. You're just spending it all on yourself. And to you, I want to challenge you. I want you to look deeply into the kingdom of God this morning and to see that God is on the move. For some of you, right under your noses. And I want to beg that you do not miss out on what he is doing right now in your life. And perhaps he's doing it right around you. And you're just so closed off to it. You need to be pulled out of that. Pulled out of that boredom. Pulled out of that lackadaisical laziness. Pulled out of that apathy. Perhaps what you need is the same as what that discouraged person needs. To look into the arms and into the face of your Lord Jesus Christ. For every other care and desire and ambition to melt by comparison to his eternal glory. And to be caught up in something far more exciting to live for than merely yourself. It seems to happen when we encounter the risen Christ, and I pray that we would do that. Wherever you're at this morning, wherever you've been, wherever you came from, don't leave this building without speaking and being spoken to by your God. He is madly pursuing you this morning. He will not stop till something breaks. Let's go there.